we've kind of now entered the final discourse of the preacher's instruction. And I want to remind us uh, to listen up. I know it's been a hard journey. I, I know the book of Ecclesiastes has both, both borne fruit in your life, but it's also graded the soul a bit. And I feel it too as I'm trying to unknot these texts, uh, you know, every week with uh, the pastors of this church. But, but may I remind you that the word of God is living and it's active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's breathed out by God and it's profitable for, for teaching and for reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. That, that we, the men and women of God, may be equipped, complete in every good work. Uh, may we bend our ears again to the word of God, catching a phrase, a reminder, a truth about God that would bear fruit in our lives. So let's finish the next three weeks well as we finish this wonderful book of wisdom. Uh, how do you look at things in life that you don't know about? Uh, talking about things that you don't have control over. Uh, we typically recognize that we don't have control over things when things hit us, like tragedies hit us. It kind of sobers us to the reality of our fragility and the lack of control that we actually have. But if we were to just take a few moments and recognize, kind of deep, uh, deep in the deep places of our hearts, that we really don't determine anything, that can actually be quite freeing to us. And I, and I think the, the, the preacher is getting at uh, uh, the same things he's been teaching about in a new way today. And, and I'm hoping that the word of God breathes life into us as we live this world, in this world today. Uh, generally speaking, we know that there is a lot we don't know about. I think we all would admit that. And this typically makes kind of us alter the way we live, recognizing the variables that we don't know. Sometimes that makes us be passive in things and not engaging in things. Uh, sometimes it makes us hoard on to things. But here in the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, the preacher confronts temptations that we have to withdraw from daily life based on the variables of life that we cannot control. And he's going to encourage us here encourage us here to keep living, to keep investing, and most importantly, to keep trusting the one who does know, uh, the one who is over the sun. And so here the preacher's wisdom is found in considering that we don't know and cannot control things like the weather. Uh, we cannot control events that happen to us. We cannot control and do not know how the intricacies of God's work actually happen. But we're not to let these things deter us from faithful living today. And so we, we don't want the things that we can't, to, can't control to control us. And so again, he's going to push us again uh, to the Lord. Now, the main point of this passage in summary, is you don't know certain things about this life, but it should not hinder our investments in this life because of our trust in God who makes everything. So we can't control anything, but it doesn't deter us from what it is we're supposed to do, not just so that we can do those things, but because we have trust in the one who oversees all things. 
Now, we're going to look, and we're going to kind of break this passage down in two different ways. First, we're going to look at the things we don't know, all right? So uh, a dose of encouragement yet again from the book of Ecclesiastes. As we continue to uh, consider all the things that we don't know, he's just kind of reminding us that we keep trying to find uh, answers and all the futility and all the vanity under the sun. And again, he shows us how it is not there. And he actually says four times in this passage, you do not know. And we're going to look at three of those. Two of them are related. We're going to look at three of those today. And the first one is found there in verse 1. We do not know what is to come. It's actually found in verse 2. But look with me in verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. Uh, look how it says in verse 2, it says that we cannot predict what will happen on the earth. Uh, it, it, you don't know what disasters are going to come. You don't know when a flood will come. You don't know when a tornado will hit, like our brothers and sisters at Oklahoma Baptist University this past week in Shawnee, Oklahoma. They had no idea days before that a tornado was coming their way. And look at the examples he provides in verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Uh, so we can see kind of ominous outlooks in the weather. We can look at the clouds and see that it looks like it's going to rain. We can anticipate that it's going to rain. But what the preacher in Ecclesiastes is telling us is you cannot control whether or not it's going to rain. You have no control over it. Uh, my son Titus has this deep fear of thunderstorms. And uh, when he was about three years old, um, we decided to go on a family walk. And uh, he, there was some kind of clouds in the sky. And he said, Dad, it's going to rain. And I was like, it's not going to rain. Because I'm looking at my phone, I'm trusting, you know, technology, and it looks great. We got out, go on the family walk, we didn't get to the end of the block, and I kid you not, thunder, lightning, and rain immediately. Brought Titus back, he's running back to the house like, you told me it wasn't going to rain. <laughs> the point is, my phone did not know whether or not it was going to rain. It took, it's taken years to build trust back up with Titus. There's other events in life that we cannot predict, like trees falling. Are they going to fall to the north or to the south? We just don't know. This is what he's trying to tell us. We can enjoy and appreciate Pete Delkis all we want, but our hope is not in Pete Delkis. Right? He messed, things messed up this week two, three times. But our, I think we know this and we would admit this conceptually, but we still plan as if we do know. We still act like we should know. But, but I, I want this to, to kind of seep into our hearts that we don't know. And that's what the writer is getting across here. In fact, we can make plans, and those plans can be uh, good plans. And I think we should make plans. We have a calendar meeting for our staff planning through August of 2024 this week. We should do that. But we should do it with a posture of if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, one pastor says, we make our plans with open hands and with heads bowed down. Because the reality is we do not know. Uh, the second thing we don't know, look with me in verse 5. We don't know how 
uh, to do the things that God does. We don't know how to do the things with God, uh, that God does. Look with me in verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We do not know how the Spirit comes to the bones of a baby in utero and allows it to become the image of God. That's what, he, that's what uh, the preacher is telling us here. We might know certain things about ex- conception. We might know when life begins. Uh, we might be able to observe certain things in the sonogram or recognize how a baby develops in the womb. But we do not know the details of how one actually becomes a person. That's what he's saying. So we know kind of when life begins, but we don't know how it begins. Uh, Last year, some scientists uh, created the first synthetic embryos uh, that the world has ever seen. And uh, even as they're creating in their world life, according to their definitions, they still recognize that this isn't human. It's growing and it's developing, but there's no soul soul competency. There's no personhood. There's no true life because man doesn't know how this works. I I love the conversation that God has with Job in chapter 38 of the book of Job. It's pretty profound. He educates him. He brings him to the edge of the earth, and he's like going to open up to him all of the unfathomable knowledge that God has to show Job, hey man, you just don't know how it works, and you're never going to know. In fact, I would encourage you, just an application, go read the 38th chapter of Job and be very humbled this afternoon, okay? But a sample of that in verse 24, thank you, Abiru, uh, verse 24 is this, what is the way to the place where light is distributed or, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? This is what God is asking Job. You don't even know where I store light, man, Right? Here's what he's saying. If you don't know these things, why do we try to fill in the answers like we do? What a a humbling and helpful thing for God to see or to show us what we think we see but we really can't see. Beloved, I think we're to take great comfort in the fact that we can't know the things under the sun, but we know the one who holds it all together. That's meant to comfort our hearts and and for him to tell us not everything that he knows, but he he tells us who he is and that he has everything in the palm of his hand. The preacher is teaching us the importance to surrender what we think we know, to trust the one that we do know. And finally, we see in verse 6, we do not know what will prosper and what will fail. Verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So after sowing seed and working hard, and we don't know if he's talking about sowing seed twice a day, we don't know if he's talking about sowing seed all day, but you don't know what the results will be to the work. That's what he's saying here. You have no idea what part of the work will be successful. It's kind of that idea of what Paul's telling the Corinthians. He's like, we plant and water. Him and Apollos, plant and water, plant and water. But it's only God that gives the spiritual growth in in the life of people. 
We, we sow, we sow, we sow, but it's only God who brings forward the fruit. I mean, we can guess, but we don't know. We can hope. We can hope that all of our work will blossom into these things in daily life, but we're not sure. I mean, be a student for your own history for a minute. Uh, just think about your life. Can you believe where you are right now, where you started, and how you got to where you are? All the things that your hand has touched, all, all, all the good work you've done that's borne fruit, all the good stuff you've done that hasn't borne fruit, all the failures, everything. Uh, everything we've put our hand to the plow in doing, some of it's borne fruit and some of it hasn't. And, and God has directed all of our paths to get to where we are today. You and I could have never imagined the opportunity that would have sprung up for us and, and all the plans that have failed. Is it not true? Like, man, I thought this was going to be the outcome of this. I mean, how that's weekly. That's daily. Right? It, it's incredible how much we think we know when we do something that it doesn't come to fruition. But we're not to trust our outcomes. We're to trust in God. And as Proverbs 16 says, we commit our work to him. And then he says, your plans will then be established. Because he's the one who establishes the plans. He's the one that brings forward the fruit. He's the one that puts things in our hands as we work and we sow. So there's just so much about our lives we don't know. And because we don't know, and our uncertainty grows, our, our, our natural human tendency then is to become fearful or, or, or to procrastinate or to almost become paralyzed. Look what it says in verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Uh, it, it, here's what it's saying here in verse 4. Uh, one looks at the wind and decides not to plant so seeds. Because he knows that the weeds can actually affect, or the, excuse me, the wind can actually affect the seeds that he plants. And so he decides, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it because the wind's going to blow it all away anyway. And, and then he says, he looks at the clouds and he says, oh, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to sow a harvest right now. Because look, the rain's coming. But at the end of the day, the clouds don't maybe produce the type of rain that he was expecting. And they don't reap because they didn't work. The point here is the variables can, these variables can create so much uncertainty in our lives. But do not be a procrastinator or a sloth. Stick to the main work that God has given to you. Don't, don't decide not to do anything because of, uh, because of uncertain circumstances. Don't be paralyzed by fear. Uh, don't be unwilling to take a risk. That's what he's getting at here. There's, there's dangers in assuming with your eyes what is going to come about. That's walking by sight, not by faith. And so there's two kind of responses to this uh, procrastination or uh, to this uncertainty of these variables. And the first one is procrastination, which we've just talked about, uh, you know, it, uh, don't do something because you're afraid something's going to happen. College students, finish your education even if you're afraid that artificial intelligence is going to take all of our jobs. 
keep, keep doing the things that we're called to do in this life that God's word instructs us to do. The second thing is, uh, if we don't procrastinate, we tend to gather. There's a fear of gathering. We need to hoard to ourselves because the day is uncertain. Uh, we don't know what could destroy. And so uh, don't you feel sometimes the need to like gather or buy land somewhere and then gather all your people and, because of the uncertainties of life? We saw how this worked out in COVID where it's like we need toilet paper, all of us, and we need to hoard it because we don't know when we're going to get the next batch. But that's just the human instinct in us. And he's addressing these fears. He's addressing these fears. We don't know these things, and our tendency is to procrastinate or it's to hoard. But here's the reality. In so doing, we're actually sort of revealing a doubt of God's care for us. We're, 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 we're doubting that the one who takes care of the birds of the air is going to take care of us. And so we can either not trust him by holding or we begin to procrastinate and not work and do the things that God has called us to do. Do you believe that God has your best interest in mind? Ask yourself that question. Ask your spouse or your friend that question. Do you believe that God has your best interest in mind? Even with all the uncertainties that you cannot control, do you believe that God loves you and cares for you? But how do we live with all these uncertainties? Well, he actually tells us in the text there's a few things that we do know that allow us to live wisely in this life. And so uh, the first one, is wise living is generous living. Look with me again in verse 1. We're going to kind of look at the same text again and just explain it from a different angle. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you, do, uh, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now this idea of bread cast out on the waters, you might have like a hard piece of bread being frisbeed out on the waters and then, and then floating, but... I don't think that's what he has in mind here. Uh, we see in 1 Kings chapter 10 uh, that the king would use ships to, uh, to send out goods, goods like bread. And the king had ships that he would exchange with Tarshish, uh, things uh, like gold and silver and animals and food. And so that was the way that kind of business was done back in the ancient Near East. And so the preacher here is saying to, to cast or to send your goods and, and trust that God will provide for you. See there at the, the second part of verse 1, for you will find it after many days. It will come back to you. You will be cared for. And then he says to give to seven or eight persons. So the reader has bread and they are to send it. And then they're to give portions of that bread to seven or even to eight now, giving to, giving to seven or even to eight is the idea of giving faithfully, fully, and then a little bit more, to the nth degree, as one, uh, one theologian said. So uh, you send your goods, trusting that God will care for you, and then you give away your goods fully, trusting that God will provide for you. Now, there is a debate uh, over whether this is referring to business and commerce, or if this is simply 
just generous living and, and making sure the things that we own don't own us. Sending them out and trusting that God will provide. That, that, that's what many in church history believed that this is what actually it, it meant. The point, there is always risk in this life because of the uncertainty of disasters. But the risk should not keep us from sending, from giving, and giving fully to those who are in need. So in a sense, we are freed up to give and to invest. Why? Because of the unpredictability of the disasters tomorrow. So in, human wisdom says, well, we don't know what tomorrow holds, so let's hold it all back. What he is saying is, because we don't know what's coming tomorrow, let's give it all away. And let's be faithful today with the things that we can be faithful with. Now, he's not saying that we should just give into poverty or be foolish. But what he is saying is, because you don't know tomorrow. Trust the God who owns both today and tomorrow. Essentially, that's what he is saying. And, and, and we see the temptation. I've gone to Luke 12. I think this is the third time in Ecclesiastes, but it's helpful even from a different angle. Now listen to this parable of Jesus in Luke 12. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And then I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Verse 21, so, it, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is our time to be rich towards God today. To, to give our, our lives away today. And, and God is worthy of our riches. And the reason I say that is because of what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He tells Timothy to tell the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. So man thinks we need to set our hope on riches because that's where we're going to be able to be satisfied and protected in disaster. But he says, no, be rich towards God who richly provides for us. There's an uncertainty of riches in an already uncertain life. So we can give and we can trust the Lord. He's, he's talking about wise, faithful, generous investing and giving with others in mind to the seventh or even the eighth person, the nth degree. So don't hoard. Don't, don't keep for yourselves, but send and give and risk and invest and give yourself and give your stuff away. Lord, spend us for your glory. Help our lives to be a living sacrifice pleasing to you. The preacher here is talking about wisdom of God, not man's wisdom. It's perfectly personified in Christ, who, who, who emptied himself 
recognizing that we would not recognize equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's not the way that man works. That's the way that God works. And Jesus perfectly teaches us this. This is the wisdom and the logic of God. Uh, The Valley of Vision, it's a collection of of poems um, from uh, some men throughout history. And, And listen to one of these poems within it. Let me learn, and this is the wisdom we're talking about here. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That, to be, uh, that the brokenhearted is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. We think it's the mountaintop. That's why we go to the mountaintop. We're like, look at this view. And the Bible is saying the view is from the valley. And Christ is the one who gives us this example. Scriptures are littered with it. Matthew 10 shows us whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. What a teacher. What an instructor. Teaching us how we ought to think under the sun in a curse. The world says to accumulate and build shelters. In barns. But God says, give away to the nth degree. This is the gospel. Christ did this. He gave himself away. It's like the parable of the the seed goes and dies. The one seed goes and dies and then it bears much fruit. But we can't see what God would have for us when we do these things. But we trust him. We trust him. And how can we actually do this? Well, verse 5 tells us. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. That little phrase there is pretty important. Who makes everything. Who holds everything. Who owns everything. We do have certainty in what God has done. He's the one who owns the cattle on the thousand hills. What rest this should provide our souls. We have certainty in what Christ has done for us, both in his death and in his resurrection. Hebrews 6 talks about how Christ is our sure and steady anchor of our soul. Think about that imagery that the scriptures are providing there. An anchor does not allow anything to to budge. We just buoy, just anchored to him. And no matter if there's disasters coming, uh, wherever uh, a tree falls, uh, we, might, we don't know all these things, but we're certain in this thing. And that's the anchor our soul needs. Number two, wise living involves steadfast living. Look with me in verse six. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening with, withhold not your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both will... Uh, Both alike will be good. So right after he says that God makes everything, look what he says. In the morning, go and sow your seed. That means to work and to invest. So he's assuring us, hey, God made everything. Now go and do something about it. You don't have to look to the winds and the clouds of uncertainty. Look to the one who is certain. 
and keep your hands to the plow. Are there risks? Absolutely. Is it wise to, uh, to have several different investments? Seven or even eight? Don't put all your eggs in one basket? Absolutely. Because the passage tells us we don't know what's going to produce. But we are to sow and to work. And to do this with a trust in the Lord because we know that he is going to provide something. Because it says in verse 1 that the bread does come back. Uh, we do see that God does provide and he does care for his people. We're not sure how much and we're not sure when, but we know that he will because he loves his people. I'm so thankful for my wife. She has no idea I'm about to say this, but I'm so thankful for my wife. I think about how hard she works and I know I'm not the only one that would give this testimony, but how hard she works to manage our house during the day. We're homeschooling our children and um, our kids, discipling women, an incredible friend, excellent mother, the very best wife, faithful church member. I mean, she loves you all well, and she can straight up cook. <laughs> but what I love about my wife is that she sows the seed every day, and she doesn't always get all that she puts in, back. But she trusts the one who sustains her throughout the day. Every single day. And I'm so thankful for that gospel example. First thing that I thought of was my wife. We are supposed to go and to work and invest without any guarantee. So let's sow our seed. And not just in work. I'm talking about in your marriages. I'm talking about with your friends in the church. I'm talking about fathers leading their families. Go and sow your seed. Mothers discipling your children. Grandparents being intentional with the next generation. Go and sow your seed. You're not guaranteed that your child will become a Christian. But go and work the field and be faithful and trust the one who is able to save even the greatest sinner. Invest, get to know the lost, serve your church, give all that you have. And then thirdly and finally, wise living is brought forth by God alone. Wise living is brought forth by God alone. Look with me in verse 5. You do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a child, with, uh, with a, a, of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So we've already seen that God alone brings the spirit to the bones of a baby. Uh, without God's work in creation, there is no hope for wise living in anybody if God doesn't make someone to walk out wise living. But he makes humanity. But we also know, according to John 3, that there's a new birth, that there's a new life, and he's responsible for that also. Uh, listen to Jesus' words to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless, his, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit 
his spirit. God makes us, he puts his spirit in humanity, and then he has a new creation, new life. For those who believe are born again in Christ, and how does that happen? When the spirit comes and awakens us. And we, be, we begin to believe who he is. This is how it's possible for us to actually live wisely in this life. How not to, to just grip and trust all the things that we see, but rather to trust the one that we cannot see. He enlivens our minds and our hearts to do such a thing. And he receives the glory for it, for any new life that we have, any forgiveness of sins, any reconciliation, every bit of our redemption is from the one above. And we don't know how he does it. We just know that he does it. Because all of us were one day sitting in darkness and all of a sudden we're in light. Right? Like how do we get here? Worshiping. Someone we've never met with our whole heart. Only the spirit of God does that. And that alone is wise living. Three quick takeaways for today. The first one is this. Confess and admit that you are not in control of your life. Admit and confess. We want to bring our sins to the one who can forgive them. We often look at life circumstances today. And we make decisions based on that. Rather than what we can't see. The one we can't see. The one who controls all things over the sun. So let's even bring our fears to him today. Let's bring our fears and our doubts, our uncertainties to him today. Number two, trust the one who made everything and be generous. Trust the one who made everything and be generous. Don't be owned by the things that you have. Give them away because you're owned by the one who will never allow you to be snatched from his hand. You don't have to build bunkers or barns. We get to be generous. Do you remember? <laughs> this is, do you remember how staggeringly impoverished we were when we were born into sin, and how incredibly wealthy we are because we have been born of the Spirit? So we can be generous because our God has been generous to us. And if you don't know God, I, we've been praying this week that you would know God. The spirit of God would awaken your soul. That you would recognize that you have been looking at the storm clouds of life and all the disasters. And you are acting as men act. And we get it. We've been there. We still act that way in, in part. But one has come and he's freed us from all these fears. And his name is Jesus. And he extends his offering of salvation to you today. And there's no other name by which men can be saved except in the name of Christ. And then thirdly, and I'm saying this to the Christians, consider taking wise risks for the glory of God. We want to invest our, our time, our finances, our lives for the glory of God. To trust the one who is over all things, who made all things. There's 300,000 Bibles that uh, the country of Iran needs right now. I got in an email this week. Who's going to take them? Who's going to take them the word of life? I pray that some of us would rise up. Rise up and go to the hard places, the unreached. 
I pray that amongst us there are people who would willing, be willing to go on a, in a church plant that wouldn't be looking at the economy or, or the, the threat of persecution, but would be going, man, Jesus is worth it in another part of this city. I might be willing. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Uh, if there's any of you who might be willing to be a pastor or a minister, would you take the risk to do it? Would you think about the one who you can trust rather than the, the, the uncertainties of life that are swarming you? Would you be willing to invite a neighbor into your house who is not like you in any way? And it might be a little dangerous in your mind. Would you take the risk, not looking at all the uncertainties, all the, the different outcomes you can't control, but would you take the risk because Christ is worth it? He's been generous to us. Would you, would you teach your children the gospel and not looking at the clouds of tiredness, going, man, I'll get to that tomorrow. But being faithful today with the things that have been entrusted to you today so that you can invest in your children's life today. Not knowing what fruit it will bring, but man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach and I'm going to pray. Lord, save them. Would you take that risk? Uh, those who are wealthy in the room, w would you be less rich? I'm not saying you got to be in poverty, but would you give with the gospel in mind? Not for the sake of the ministries of the church, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. This is Ecclesiastes-type wisdom here. But one appeared who is greater than Solomon. And his name is Jesus. And when Jesus came, Jesus personified for us, not just in theory, but in person, what all of this wisdom looked like. And those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. From all of the uncertainties of life, you can hold to one who is certain. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today with little faith. God, would you help our unbelief? Would you allow us to trust you who made everything, who provides back to us what you find appropriate? And you even provided for us what we didn't even know we needed, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.